What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Tondwald, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have DJ Lavery, a.k.a. Sebastian Melmuth, a.k.a. Eric the Ghost of the band Moldire. DJ and crew just released their first full-length album, Songs Volume 1. I've known DJ for a long, long time, and we cover everything from his love of terrible animals, his acting career, all of his different personas, and the evolution of Moldire as a whole. It was great to just sit and talk to him for a while, so hopefully you dig it. Check out Songs Volume 1 by Moldire wherever you stream slash buy your music. I'll have all the links in the show notes. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcast. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. Got it. I really love this chair. Might try to steal it. It's wonderful, isn't it? Oh. Authentication. Yeah. It's Is it? Does, does it have the, the claws and shit, too? It's, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's, um, it's definitely not built for men of our size. Nope. But, sure is not. But I've taken a lot of naps with half my body hanging. Right. Out. I mean, <laughs> people were smaller back then, right? That's how that works. We've just become bigger and bigger. Kind of. It's uh let me let me get all geeky for a second. Bring it. Um if you go from the 1800s to now, there's something like 3 quarters of an inch of difference from the average height. Um but like a half inch of that three quarters of an inch has occurred in the last 50 years. Of taller? Mm-hmm. Just with the advancements in wow. prenatal care and diet. Yeah, because we're, we're, uh, yeah. we're keeping the, the, the good babies. Yeah. And we're keeping all the babies now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I realized that, that when very, I, yeah, yeah. We're I keeping the good babies We're keeping the good days. babies. Like, it's just uh, eugenics. All, all, the way through, all yeah. babies are good babies. <laughs> Maybe. That's like that's like saying all animals are good animals, but my cat sucks. So, oh, I don't know. Well, animals, especially pets, they should be awful. They should be. They shouldn't be awful. They should, be they should just be fucking adorable and shut up. Oh, no, no, no. They should all be, they should be demons. They're, no. They're wonderful. I have a... They should be nice familiars and know their place and, uh... Yeah. Not wake me up at five no, o'clock. No, but I'm a Chihuahua daddy, so that's that's not an, even a an animal. It's yeah, just, it is. It's just it's the only animal in my n- mind. No, it's it's like a it's like a stuffed toy that came to life that you just want to burn. Just just throw it out the window. No, she's she's my everything. Ugh. I have a T-shirt that says uh, that with her says, face on it. No, I have socks with her face on it. That's gross. Custom printed. That's gross. Uh, that was a Christmas gift. Um, that but, person should not give gifts. That's, no, that's it was exactly what I wanted. Uh, but I have a T-shirt that says, "Any man can be a father, but it takes a real man to be a Chihuahua daddy." No, and, no, it uh, does not. No, it does not. It, it, and I was wearing that, and somebody goes, "Oh, did your girlfriend get you that?" And I went, "No, I sought this out myself." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Just those dumb bug eyes and the fact that they don't mm. shut up. Uh, I I appreciate the long hair ones. Everything I think, everything about her is perfect. Uh, no, no, and no. she's an absolute demon. That's, That's all, a problem. It's not. Yes, that is a problem. Like they shouldn't shouldn't be such a a dick the entire time. <laughs> and I I know they are because they're fucking uh, 
little yeah they are little hellions aren't they yeah they're wonderful there's but nothing about a chihuahua that is wonderful there's nothing that about a chihuahua that is not wonderful you're ridiculous i don't like you point anymore. counterpoint uh, it's the same point it's just two different sides of the point yeah the the ball pin ballpoint pin and that's what it is i don't know i don't i don't like chihuahuas uh I don't like pugs. See, here's the thing about chihuahuas that I love. I don't like French bulldogs either. Chihuahuas are the most loyal of all dogs. No, they're not. They are. They are not. They are. It's uh, There was a thing that they did on TV where they, they tested people's dogs by they had this dog expert that would come running into the house and quote-unquote attack the, the, the homeowner. Uh-huh. And the homeowner would call their dog for help. And they did this in a bunch of different I saw houses. That. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the labs, the Dobermans, the pit bulls all ran away. The only dog that not the pit bull. Yep. Come on. The only dog that defended its owner was a Chihuahua. It can't defend shit. It'll just get. But it wants kicked. to. It wants I mean, to. That's adorable. That's, you, like... you go online and search it. There are all these stories of Chihuahuas backing down bears and mountain because lions because they're so goddamn loud. Yeah. 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 And they're not afraid. They have no fear. Um, it's like the little guy in the bar fight that's like, yeah, bring it. Let's do it. Let's do this right now. And you just get and, beat up every single well, time. Well, no, everybody's like, uh, this guy knows something not, that I don't and they walk away. Right. So it's not, it's not because they're small. It's because they're crazy. It's because they're fearless. They're yeah. Crazy. And that was, I had this with, with my, with my baby. With um, my baby. With my baby. my baby. I had this moment at one point where I realized that she would she would rush a bear for me um she would rush a chainsaw wielding maniac for me a russian russian bear yeah she would rush a russian bear she'd rush an anything bear and uh and it's it's weird this switch that flipped in my i wasn't really a dog person before that okay um and then there was this switch that flipped in my head where i realized that like this dog would go to war for me and it was just like this switch flipped where i was like well i guess I have to be willing to go to war for this dog. Right. And it was like right. that. Should, they're little Vikings. They're not afraid of anything. And so. They're not Vikings. They are. Not Vikings. They are. They have, they have the hearts of Vikings. Because <laughs> their hearts are probably too big and they're just fucking pounding in there. Just They, they run real fast. <laughs> you, put your, you put your ear to a chihuahua. Uh, their, their eyes are too big for their faces. Any, so that they can assess that many threats. That's not that's not real. It's that's all not threats. real. You're gonna say that for the same thing about pugs and French bulldogs, where the eyes just fucking, they sneeze and they fall out. Like that's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Well, pugs are, pugs are, and I love pugs. I love pugs. Of course you do. Because you um, love just gross looking animals. They are they are genetic. They shouldn't be they're, alive. They're they're creatures. They're, <laughs> They're uh, they're humunculi. They're chimeras. Yeah, they're, they are. They they're are. Whatever. They were created by a, by a mad wizard somewhere. No, not a mad wizard. Just a fucked up scientist <laughs> being like, yeah, we should just f- let those two things fuck, and then we'll see what happens with that. And they're like, yeah, why why is the nose in the brain? That shouldn't be a. Oh, I hate them so much. I love. Pugs. And like, uh, what are what are they? Uh, pug be- beagles. The what are they? Peagles. I don't know what they are. Um. Puggles? Puggles. Puggles, yeah. That's that's what it is. Yeah. They shouldn't be alive either. <laughs> French Bulldogs, the, the only saving grace for those is that their ears 
because they look like Batman ears. Yeah, yeah so that's they do. that's kind of cool. But you know, the their eyes fall out when they sneeze. <laughs> like See, that's fucking ridiculous. That. There's also two types of chihuahuas. There's applehead chihuahuas, which are the ones with the smushed up faces. The smushed up faces. And there's because uh, they're so cute. Because they're smushed chihuahuas, up. which are longer. They have longer snouts. And, and they're just yeah. They look more like regular dogs. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. They're just sm- small rat dogs. I appreciate the long hair ones. I like rats too. Yeah. Well, of course you do. I used to raise rats. Of course you did. They're smart little fucks, too. Oh, I love rats. Yeah, yeah, they're great. I don't appreciate rats. They make wonderful pets if you get them very young. They're kind of like raccoons in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you get them real young. Um, yeah, I had a uh, I had a pet rat named Sid, who little white rat, and he was the runt of the litter, and I adopted him. And um, he was so well-behaved that I could sit him up on my shoulder and, like, cook dinner and sit down and, he and eat just... dinner, and he would just hang out. We would watch TV together. That's legit. Yeah, he was cool. I wish my dog did that. Yeah. It was actually, it was kind of funny. I um, I I brought him home, and he was a pretty normal rat. And I named him Sid after Sid Barrett. Okay. Um, and then, like, two days later, Sid Barrett died. Mm. And all of a sudden, Sid the rat became super neurotic. And really? started like he would like hide his food in his house and he would just sit in his house all day and got really like it like introverted and I would just sit at the cage and I would be like, You can hang out as long as you want, Sid. <laughs> it was like Sid Barrett's spirit was just like, I just need somewhere chill to be for right, a little while. Right. And so I used to joke that I had Sid Barrett living in my house. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, my uh my cat Instead of, you know, being on your shoulder like your, your Sid, uh, she jumped on the dining room table once and just stole one of my peppers. <laughs> and then jumped off and just ate it in front of me. <laughs> See, cats. cats They're are, assholes. They are. And I, like, I looked at it and I was like, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, I'm glad it was cooked because apparently, like, I looked afterwards to see if it would like hurt her, right. and apparently peppers aren't good for cats. Huh? Uh, she didn't give a shit. Like she is very fat and happy right now. She doesn't care. Uh, no, and uh, thankfully it was cooked because I guess a raw pepper would would have hurt her. Um, but she jumped right on that table, took it, jumped right off, and just ate it in front of me. Yeah. Just just thugged me thugged me out for the the, the fucking. I was, I was so mad. I've and then that. I videoed it because I was so mad. I was like, <laughs> how dare you? This is astonishing. You're such... I've, I haven't even had you for that long. And just the the brashness of it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to throw her out that night. Yeah. And uh, I should have. Should have. She wakes me up at 5 o'clock every morning. Even though she has an automatic feeder. Full with food. Just to tap on it so she can go eat. <laughs> yep. Hater. Yeah, Stella. She will. Uh, she will. I actually. Uh, I'm. I'm under orders from my lady to not feed Stella as much as I was. She fat. Stella. She's not. She's not. But she was starting to. She was starting to put on some weight, and it was because I. I like badly behaved animals. So, 
when she would come up to me while I was eating and be like, I'm awful. I'm the one that will, I'll, I'll, I'll share food off my fork. That's not, um, yeah, that's not good. You shouldn't do that. It's it, my, my issue is that she does not stop yelling until she's fed. Yeah. I like sleep. <laughs> and the only way for her to be quiet is if I feed her. So I fed her enough to where she shouldn't be able to move. She still moves. She still jumps. She still does everything that she wants to. And this is a problem because that means that she's still capable of getting more food. Yeah. And just yelling at me. She's still very viral or virile. Virile? Virility? Virile? Yeah, that one. Virile uh, or feral? I don't know. It's the same thing. Um, <laughs> she's still she's still very much full of life and will... Her, her favorite bit is to, I sleep on my side, right? So she jumps on the bed, lays down right on my thigh, and just yells. Just yells until I get up. And I've, I've been very close to just throwing her out many times, especially at 5 o'clock in the morning when I do that. Like, it is, it is the worst. I've never met another as mouthy creature as her. And... She was, she's from one of my friends that is just as mouthy. So that, that works out, I guess. Like, she just very much took from her, and I did not appreciate it. So, I don't know. See, everybody everybody always talks about chihuahuas being real barky. Yeah. They're not with their people. She's quiet when it's when it's just me and the lady. She's quiet. That's because she trusts you guys. Mm-hmm. She's not yelling at you to yeah. fuck off. Exactly. She's yelling at everybody else to fuck off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I like my peace and quiet. I like know? I like having a tiny living burglar alarm that follows me around. She's, see, I'm a paranoid person. Oh, I am, okay. I am very okay. paranoid. Okay. And she will let me know if somebody gets out of their, their car two blocks down. <laughs> She's at the window going like, hey, hey, some guy just got out of his car down there. And I'm like, okay. I don't care. Like you can stay quiet just for a second. Like, uh, let me know when they yeah. get closer. I'm like, okay, I got it. That's so funny. I'll be like, I see him, Steli. And then she'll be like, okay, and she'll kind of go off by herself. Do you uh, do you carry it in a purse? Yeah, yeah. Every chance I get. I don't like you anymore. It's, it's, I have, inter- it's a sling bag. This interview is over. It's a sling bag, uh, and I, I we go to the store sometimes. Um, you're legitimately one of those people. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So the the uh Did you not hear about the socks I the, have with her? Right. Shut up. The stereotypical <laughs> version of that person though is a very blonde uh rich yes, middle class or upper middle class or yes. whatever lady that is just carrying her dumb dog in a Louis Vuitton purse. Yes. Um I guess it's not middle class then, huh? Um what do people say when they look at you and be like, um, this is, what is this man doing with, with his dog? People tend to just kind of be like, they just, because they you don't notice her at first because she's so quiet. And so then right. she'll kind of pop her head out. And a lot of times their reaction is like, like little kids, they love it. Because it's it's like this magical surprise in an otherwise, you know, they're walking around Walmart with their family and they're bored out of their minds. And all of a sudden there's this giant bearded guy with a tiny little dog sticking out. Yeah, of here's gothic bag. Santa just yeah. looking around with it, with his little elf <laughs> yeah. in a bag. 
Yeah. That's that's hilarious. Yeah, she's she's funny. Um it it'll probably like throw them a little off guard and just be like, Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Look at that big burly dude with, with that little Yeah. I've never had um I did go into a place one time to get a root beer float. And I walked in and I said, Hey, can I get a root beer float? And the woman behind the counter was like, You can't have that dog in here because we serve food and I went, Okay, can I get that root beer float though? And she was like, Oh, Okay, fine. That's the only problem I've ever had. Um, but yeah, I've taken her to the store. I've taken her all kinds of places. That's, I guess that's nice. Yeah. Is there? Uh, do you take her to like festivals and shit too? Like the red no, thing? no. Of- I've thought about it, but she is. I mean, um, she is a very nervous creature. Okay. And generally, if she's in the bag, she's okay because she feels safe yeah. and protected. Um, but being around that many people that she doesn't know, she gets overwhelmed. Um, she, so. she has anxiety a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think most chihuahuas do, um, which kind of leads to that kind of burglar alarm, uh, attitude that they have. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause they're, they're, they're always in danger of being kicked. Yeah. Yeah. Or just being fucking The whole world hunted. is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it should be because yeah. they shouldn't exist. Uh, that's that's funny. Yeah. Um, let's do let's do this. Okay. Um, you have a record coming out in October, which will be the first full length for Moldire, yes. right? God's willing, and the creek don't rise. Yes. So, talk to me a little bit about that record. Um. You had an EP that came out a few months back, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, probably almost a year ago. I think it came out in October of last year. I don't know how time works, so probably. I'm the, I'm the same <laughs> way. <laughs> um, but you have, so you have the, the record that's coming out. You have um, retooling of some of the songs that are on there. And then um, were you just in a play, too, recently? Or you have something coming up? I directed a play last that's year. That's what it was. Okay. Yes. I okay. directed um, Wait Until Dark, Okay. Um, which is a classic thriller. That was last year? It was last year. Did you do a short or something recently? Oh, just recently I took part in a 24-hour or That's a 48-hour yeah, yeah, yeah. play festival where um, basically I went in on Saturday and sat in a room full of writers and we each wrote a 10 to 15 page script right. within 12 hours. Okay. I want to talk about that because okay. I want to talk about your acting and stuff like that. Okay. And then I want to talk about, um, obviously, the the music and the record and stuff like that. I was just trying to remember everything um, that you've done recently because I, I, I liked the idea of literally just going in a room, writing like one of the first ideas that you have, and then putting pen to paper and then letting it just roll. It was fantastic. Yeah. yeah cause, so the, the whole idea of that was just wild to me. So... Um, since we're already talking about it, let's, okay. let's talk about that a little bit. Cause you've been acting for a while and was last year your first director. That was the first time I directed a play. Yeah. I've been involved in theater in one way or another for about 30 years. Right. Okay. Um, since I was a kid and, um, did theater through high school and, um, have done plays and worked in various yeah, I worked at the Renaissance Festival, worked at a couple of Renaissance Festivals. Um, 
Um, yeah, so last year I got the chance with the Three Notch Theater, the Newtown Players, I was given the chance to direct uh, Wait Until Dark, which is a fantastic thriller about um, three criminals trying to break into a blind woman's apartment. Um, there's a baby doll full of heroin that they believe has been accidentally delivered to that house, basically. And they're trying to use all these different ways to get into that apartment. So it all takes place in one apartment. And uh, it's a very small cast, but it's this it's just this wonderfully tense play. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to put it on. Um, the final scene takes place in complete darkness. That is There cool. is no light okay. on stage. And so there are there there are parts of the of the final scene where people are striking matches and that's the only light in the theater um that must have been an experience that... it was it was fantastic and um got to work with some of my very closest friends on that got to make a lot of new friends but it was a really great experience um and then i did the 48 hour play thing just recently um, and my part was really easy. I sat down and wrote for a couple <laughs> of hours and the hard part came the next day when a director and two actors had to pick up that script that I'd written the day before and had to memorize it and put it on. And the, uh, the, luckily I got fantastic people on mine and they did a great job. Um, did it did it reach not reach did it match your vision for it it there it was interesting it was the first time i've ever had something that i wrote performed by someone else right and that was a surreal experience um because i went into it and watched them perform it having had nothing to do i mean i dropped in for about 20 minutes and just kind of said well this is my idea, the characters, this is where this came from, this is what inspired it. Kind of give them a, an idea of where I was coming from. Um, but then they put it on, and there were parts of it that played out exactly like I expected, and there were parts of it that played out even better. Wow, okay. Um, where the way that seeing someone else do it was very different than what I had seen in my head. Yeah. But then when I saw them do it, I went, oh, wow. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't have expected that. Because you always, like, with, with movies, you always hear about the writer, the director, and then the mm -hmm. actors, right? And how they all kind of come together. Right. And how the script, a lot of times, doesn't match the same way that the director sees it, which is the same way, or mm -hmm. a different way that the the actor sees it. So, as a writer, and having this vision in your head, it's it's literally, it could be completely different from what you're seeing and hopefully well, it's for the better or hopefully uh, in theater um more so than in film the script is gospel okay um and that's you don't when you're working in the theater it's it's very rare in fact when you're doing for instance doing a play like wait until dark um the rights holders to that play the playhouse that you rent the play from basically um, they, you are not allowed to change anything about it. You're allowed to stage it however you want to. You're allowed to dress it however you want to. But the words themselves, you are not allowed to change a word. 
So you can't um, even ad lib. You can't. There are. I mean, that does happen. Yeah. Um, there's a a guy who I worked with a lot in my younger days uh, in the theater. A guy named Keith Williams, who uh, passed away recently. Who is one of the funniest people I've ever met, and he was legendary for just making stuff up on the fly. Right. And it. There, there were there were very few actors that would excitedly work with him, and I was <laughs> and I was one of them. Um, but he would he would work people's names. If you brought a, if you had a friend come to see the show, he would work their name into dialogue. That's just for nifty. Fun. That's cool. Um, he one time when I was in Rich Uncle Skeleton, we did a play together, and he uh, we were doing the show, and um, he walks out. And goes, he's talking to his, his, the woman playing his wife, and he says, Darling, you, you would not believe who I ran into uh, at, the, at the supermarket the other day. And she goes, who? Because she, you can just see in the actress's <laughs> eyes, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he goes, I ran into your old rich Uncle Skelton. And That's I was backstage hilarious. just grabbing my sides. Um, but he would do that. I got to, um, I got to be in a play that he wrote at a festival in New York City, um, which was fantastic. And it was some of the, that weekend was some of the most fun I've ever had. We just, he called it the Godzilla tour. And because we were going to lay the city to waste and (laughs) we just went up and we just had a blast and put on this show and it was not very popular, but we had a great time. Um, that, that happens, right? Yeah. That's that's pretty much any show. Yeah. It could not be popular. Absolutely. You could definitely enjoy yourself. Uh, so, with the the acting, I mean, you mm-hmm. you basically stayed a fairly local with that, right? Uh yeah, yeah. I did. Um, in my younger days, I did um a very very little bit of television. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly background extra stuff in historical documentaries. Um, you know, I was, I was a dead body at Jamestown. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Arrows sticking out of my back. Was it anything that you ever really wanted to pursue seriously? Yeah, I, there, uh, there was, uh, I, I had wanted to pursue it. And I actually, at one point went to, I did an audition, um, for a casting agency in Washington, D.C. And the woman that ran the casting was basically like, look, you're not, you're not going to be on television. You're, uh, you don't have the right look. You don't have the right, <laughs> you know, nothing that. But if you're willing to get contact lenses and uh, put a few thousand dollars into this and that and this and that, I can probably get you a lot of steady work in instructional films. And, That's interesting. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good." I mean, at the time, that was when I was kind of starting to get serious about music. Um, well, so when when was that? Do you have an idea? I was I was probably two thousand one, two thousand two. Okay. okay. Um, and yeah, and there was also just the idea that. You know, I wasn't going to move to New York City. I wasn't right. going to move to L.A. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, if you're not going to do those things, then you're going to 
then what are you going to do? So I just pretty much at that point took it on as a hobby. Okay. Um, and was doing it for, for the fun. Um, and that's where most of the community theater and yes. stuff like that. Okay. Yes. Um, so when did you start playing music then? Was that fairly close to the same time that you were? I had been playing music for a few years at that point. I started in high school, um, just in, um, little bands here and there, um, I don't know if you've been around long enough to remember the orphan auction. Um, no, I think that we had talked about that yeah. years ago, though. Yeah. Um, because when when I saw you as Eric the Ghost, which you were around for the beginning of Eric the Ghost. Yeah. So right that's at the that's beginning. that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So that I think I was trying to figure out where you came from. Because I had never seen you before, and I had been around for a little bit, yeah. Uh, especially with with music, and I was like, I've never seen this person. Uh, what what else was he in? And uh, I I remember that name, um, but I don't remember obviously anything about it. It was a hard rock band. Um, I played bass. Okay. Um, at that point, I was a bad guitar player and <laughs> whether or no bass players around the bad guitar player ends up the bass player. Yeah. There's less strings. And, um, and that was, and so I played bass in that, um, and for, I don't know, a year or two. Um, and we did, we didn't do a lot, but there wasn't a lot to do then around here. Right. Um, cause when, when was that? Like 19, that would have been like 2000, 2000... that would have been around the same time, 2000, 2001. Okay. Up until then, I was in bands in the sense that, you know, you get together with your buddies once every few weeks sure. and run through a couple of Nirvana songs. Whatever, high school yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, well, well, no, I, I had done, we had done a band called Third Wheel, um, where we, we did it, we did an album, we paid for it, we, we did, we paid the studio, we did an EP. Um, okay. Four songs, I think, and um, they uh, and we then we just didn't do anything with it. You know, we paid the we saved up for months. But you didn't put it out. We you, we you didn't, didn't put it out. We broke. We kind of broke up after that. That's, um, that's funny. Which is fine. They were. It was not great. Um, it was. Uh, yeah, we put out an EP. If I remember correctly, it was called Elvis with a Gun. I like that. Um, I like yeah. that. So, with your acting, because you were doing that a little bit more than um, the music, is that where kind of the persona of Eric the Ghost came from, or? Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always loved the idea of having a persona, um, and that comes from a, a lot from, uh, you know, both the theater and from. Uh, you know the old blues guys. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I was very into that stuff, and I was very into you know uh, the you know the things that Marilyn Manson and Kiss and um, all of those things, and um, you know I just I I always liked the idea of that, and um, Eric the Ghost was kind of it's funny because. It's those decisions you make that you don't realize are gonna are gonna follow you for twenty years. Um, 
when I was in Rich Uncle Skeleton, um, I I had gone through kind of this uh, crisis of faith. Okay. Um, because of uh, discovering Jandek. Um, I don't know I don't if you've know ever listened. Is. Jandek is this fantastic. Uh, how you just experimental musician from Texas that put out 50 albums without anyone knowing who he was. He was completely secretive. Um, he was completely, uh, you know, he, people didn't know people for years. People thought it was a joke. Okay. Um, and they're just these, uh, these fantastic records that are, um, most people consider them borderline, unlistenable um but it's one of those things like it's kind of there are things that i refer to as secret handshakes um if somebody says to me oh yeah no i love jandek we're already friends <laughs> because it's such a rare thing you know you'll run into people that are like oh yeah i've heard jandek it's just it's just dreck it's weird yeah. it's, but i but because i got so into jandek i started considering like why is he doing this it's not to make money because his music is uncommercial um it's not for fame because nobody at that point knew who he was um it's not you know he's not trying to get a message out because the the songs the the lyrics were so dense and strange that there was no obvious agenda and that led me into this whole thing of well if i don't know why Jandek's doing it, then I don't know why I'm doing it. Mm. And I put, I, I really got into my head because at that point I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. You know, at that point I was making rich uncle skeleton music and there were five or six people that really enjoyed it. Um, and it wasn't, right. <laughs> it wasn't, it was something that the people who enjoyed it, enjoyed it uh, immensely. Um, and we couldn't get booked because people didn't know what to do with us. And, you know, we... I guess I never thought of you as that weird. You didn't, which is why we played a lot of yeah. shows that you booked. Right, and I think I think that's... <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you know, as, as someone that likes that style of music and someone that just appreciates creativity... Um, it's always interesting to hear the outside of that, which is, yeah, this one person liked their stuff and this one person believed in us, yeah. but it was one person. Yeah. It was, yeah. Ne it was never anybody else. We, we, and you know, yeah, the, I think the, the other members of that band eventually got much bigger, much better, not better, but figured out different avenues up yeah. in Baltimore and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, it was interesting to me that that band never did anything more where I, cause I believed in it. Like, but I guess I was one well, of the few. What's funny is that, uh, recently Brandon, actually Brandon from Maldire, um, he dug out his old copy of man's ruin. Nice. And I hadn't heard it in years. Yeah. And, um, and I listened to it and I went, there, there were times. There are times on on it where I'm going. Oh, we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> we were recording on one microphone in a bedroom. We, 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 you know. But then there are times that I listen to it and I go, "This isn't as crazy as I thought it was." 
Um, and it's just interesting having had those 10, 15 years in between right. to right. kind of uh, get more comfortable in my own skin. But, um, but yeah, you know, it was, uh, we had our, our core of like 10 people that came to all the Rich Uncle Skeleton shows. And we would call them personally to tell them we had a show coming up. Yeah. Because otherwise we wouldn't get people. But yeah, it's funny. I was actually just thinking about this today when I was thinking about us going into this. You were present for a show. You booked a show where I did one of the weirdest shows I've ever done. Um, and I was telling somebody about it recently. And I was like, I don't even remember if there was anybody there that would remember it. Um, Charlie from Last Known Yeti was there. But it was the show that I did in the featureless mask. Do you remember that? I think so. Just by myself. And I had the, the featureless mask that had no eye holes. Yeah. And Charlie dressed in the old military uniform and like walked me up onto stage and put me in front of the microphone. Right. And it was this whole conceptual thing. <laughs> and, um, and it just made me laugh thinking about because I was like, I've known you a long time yeah. and there there are not many people who remember that and yeah. there are even fewer people that were there i wouldn't have even thought about that yeah huh it's because um... that so one of one of my favorite things that I, i've seen you do is is the eric the ghost stuff uh still um and i want to kind of circle back into all right so to finish off the eric the ghost thing so i was in this crisis of faith Right. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, I don't remember. I guess Rich Uncle's... This might have been after Rich Uncle Skeleton. Or we might have been in between stuff. I feel like it was almost concurrent. It like, might have been. Yeah. But but what I did is after... At the end of... I had given myself like three weeks. And I was like, if I'm... If I, if I haven't figured it out by then. Who I am and who I want to be, then I have no business doing it. In three weeks. Three weeks. I gave myself this really. Me quitting music entirely is a bad habit that I've only gotten over recently. (laughs) But in the course of my playing music every few years. Not even a solid month. No, no, three three weeks. weeks, Three weeks. And I was I was right at the end of that, and I was at Dan's house. Dan Frome, who was he was the lead guitar player. My he was the other (laughs) half of Rich Uncle Skeleton. And um, I was at his house, and I was supposed to go to work. I was working night shift at the time, and I called my work to tell them that I was that I was on my way because I was running a little bit late. And they were like, "Well, there's no work tonight, so just go ahead and take the night off." No, oh, right. and so I was, I, all of a sudden I had this night off, and I said, and Dan goes, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I just want to I want to make a record." And I sat down and I improvised six songs. He would just put the mic on. And I hit record, and I would make up a song off the top of my head. And I just I just kind of fell in love again. You know, yeah. I, all of a sudden it was... And I, was, I had taken the ambition out of it. I had taken the desire to do something good. I had taken all those things away from it, and all of a sudden I was, I was just simply there in, in the... the that orgasm of creation sure did and did rich uncle skeleton ever feel like a box for you no it didn't feel like a box because we were pretty open right but it was more we were we were trying to build a product we were trying to build something we were trying to build a record that we liked that other people would like 
I guess and, that's I, I I think that's the way that I think about it, right? Yeah. Is when when you have a band that you want to be successful, then yeah. it becomes much more rigid. Yes, and you don't. It's not that you don't feel artistic, but you don't feel the same pop, especially at that age. Right, you know, you start you start second guessing everything that you're doing and all that, and um, so yeah, to have this this thing, and we did six songs over the course of five or six hours, and when I was leaving that night, he burned it up to a CD for me. And he said, what am I calling this? And at the time I was reading, um, I was rereading the Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. It's mm-hmm. a book. Of, I love that book. And, um, in the book, the, the Phantom's true name is Eric and they call him the opera ghost. And he said, uh, what, what am I writing on this? And I went, Eric, the ghost. And he said, Eric with a C or a K. And I said, both. <laughs> and and that was as much thought as went into it. Um, and I've always wondered like where it came from because it's such a big part of you. Yeah. You know, it, it, I don't think it's gone away for the past two decades or whatever, yeah. right? So that it's always interesting because you always... Uh, there was... Oh, it was... Um, the guy from Inner Ear Studios that I have Don Z something and I I this is terrible. Uh, he's one of the guys that I've always looked up to and um, obviously I, sh- I should know his name and this is awful. Uh, I even talked to him. I've been on a show a couple times. And this is fucking terrible. Uh, anyway, so he's Don. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you'll never hear this either. Um, but sitting down and talking to him a little bit, um, he, I, I was very interested in how the name Inner Ear Studios came to be. And he was like, oh, yeah, that was, that was just easy. That was just like, it, it just sounded cool. Like, it, yeah. it was just the inner ear of it. Like, that's where sound comes from. So it just made sense. I was like, oh, so it wasn't anything, like, important or, like... <laughs> more weighty or like more thought provoking it was just no that's that's how sound works yeah oh that's fine all right Um, and that's just like how eric works well the interesting thing is i'm i'm a big believer in um magic in the 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 real idea of magic and um and the idea that there are energies that one will tap into without knowing it. If it's kind of like a Wi-Fi network, you'll just connect to a network that you're not necessarily expecting to. And uh, especially if you're open to it. And I think that I believe that there are these moments where things like that that come to you in, in just kind of a flash, those are the things I pay the most attention to. If I have to work for something, I don't, I don't trust it hmm. um, because that's me working, but you putting your energy out there. Yeah, it's not, it's whereas, not the universe putting their energy. Exactly. Into you. Something like that, where it was literally, it was like something whispered that in my ear just snapped yeah. and it became such a part. And there's these, when you start thinking like that, when you start opening yourself up to these ideas of magic in the world, um, you start seeing synchronicities. And so, um, you know, when I started, I loved the idea of having a stage name and having a fake real name. Um, the way that, you know, 
yeah, Eminem has Slim Shady. Or, right. Know, or right. the, the Wu-Tang Clan has nine names each. I've always right, loved right. names. I love names. And, uh, and so I was, uh, I was sitting, I had gotten, I had put out, or I had, I had printed up, I don't know, 20 copies of this CD that I had made and given it out to my friends. You know, that was as much as I published, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this, uh, there was this person I knew that was running a festival and there was a private festival at this cool place out in the middle of nowhere. And they said, well, you got this new project, Eric the Ghost, you want to play? And I said, yeah, sure. And, um, and I had nothing. I was about to say, I are had, these the same songs that you just wrote? Re- no, I, cause I couldn't re- even remember how to play half of those because wow. I was literally making them up on the spot. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And then I'm like, I've got nothing. So I spent a week um writing and over the course of that writing i i still will leave um it, back then it was a television but now it'll be my phone or leave sure. youtube just something chattering in the background and i was working on something and i had a uh a documentary about oscar wilde playing yeah, in the yeah yeah and after oscar wilde was released from Reading yale and he was kind of exiled he kind of went. He went into hiding in uh, France, and he was living under the name Sebastian Melmoth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I went. That's that's my fake name, Sebastian <laughs> Melmoth, and I put that onto. I, I started for a long time, um, and probably still, if I ever actually put out an Eric the Ghost um, product, uh, the the entirety of the credits were always Eric the Ghost is Sebastian Melmoth, and that was it. And, um, and, uh, what's interesting about that is eventually I put out a couple of CDs and again, 50 copies yeah. sold for a buck here and there. Yeah. Um, I had the one with Oscar Wilde's quote. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. got that one. Um, that was the special one. Yeah. But, uh, the one CD that I put out was called Eric, the ghost as the wandering Jew. Mm-hmm. And the wandering Jew is a character from folklore, um, who was the, uh, he was uh, known as um, he had he had mocked Christ at the crucifixion, and for that he was cursed to immortality. It's kind of like Cain. He walked the earth forever, unable to die. And I just that kind of uh, I liked that character. I liked that story. And so I I again, no thought to it. This album's going to be called Eric the Ghost as the Wandering Jew. No thought to it. And I was reading about that character of the Wandering Jew, and they said, you know, he had other names that have been given to him over the years, blah, 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 and Melmoth. And I went, no. I had already put the album out. I went, no, no. Talk and, about serendipity, huh? Yeah, and well, then I found out that that name came from a book called Melmoth the Wanderer, which was written by... Um, Oscar Wilde's uncle, I think. What? And he had taken his name from that book. That that's I, ridiculous. Exactly. And it's those things where it's those decisions you make that that you don't think twice about that then you start seeing those synchronicities and you start saying, "Okay, I'm tapped in. I'm tapped into something." Right. Um and uh that was definitely one of them. But yeah, I've been Eric the Ghost ever since. That's wild. And I've gone through all these, you know, I now have an idea in my head of why I'm Eric the Ghost. Um, I've kind of, I, I became obsessed with 
this idea of um, there is no such thing as the present. There's only the past and the future. There is no present. And as I'm speaking to you, you're hearing the echo mm -hmm. of my voice. It's not my voice. It's just like seeing stars. Yes, exactly. And so, when you, especially when you look at a recording, you know, we as music people, we look at these recordings as like these living, vibrant things. But what you're listening to is you're listening to ghosts. Um, you're listening to people that are no longer there, even if it was recorded yesterday. Um, and, and of course, I've always had an obsession with ghost stories and the macabre and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of become this whole philosophy of, you know, who I, I've, I've gotten to know who Eric the Ghost is by being him for a long time. I like that. Uh, so it's Rich Uncle Skeleton. Yes. That kind of fades out, I think, right? Yeah, well, it, it faded out twice. So we put out a, a CD called Travelogue, mm -hmm. which is mostly noise collage. And the no, the noise collages, I, I recently sat down and listened to the album for the first time in forever. And uh, the noise collages are the only thing I can stand on it. They're really good. <laughs> the noise collages are really good. Anytime, I did not know. It was, I, I thank God there was no such thing as YouTube back then. Because we right. would have put it all out on YouTube, right. and right. it would still be out there. Right. Um, I didn't know how to write a song. I didn't know how to sing. Um, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Um, we didn't know how to make a record. Um, we were making it up as we went along, and we made something that now I can look back on it and, um, and really enjoy it um, for what it is not necessarily want to play it for anybody but <laughs> i can enjoy it but then we kind of broke apart it was just the two of us me and dan from who later went on to be in room runner and um and he had his studio up in baltimore mm -hmm. for many years um but then we kind of drifted apart and then we kind of ran into each other we had started working on another record um, and we ran into each other one night and said, well, we should finish that record. And that was when we did Man's Ruin. And then after that, we started recording a third album called Hail the Conquering Hero, which was our Pink Floyd rock opera mm -hmm. about a spaceman who is sent to be a biological weapon to destroy a race of lizard people on another planet and ends up it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Anyone who's interested, track me down after a show and ask me for the story to hail the conquering <laughs> hero. It, it's and prepare to prepare to be bored for <laughs> twenty to twenty five minutes. It's very in depth. But we uh, got about not that bad. We got about halfway through that record and just he had moved up to Baltimore and I was down here and right. um we kinda just drifted apart. Um and you know, we still keep in contact very every once in a while. He actually just called me a few months ago, and he was he was giving up the ghost and moving to Florida, and was getting rid of the studio. No shit. Yeah, and he said, he said, I've got a storage room full of gear up here. If you can, if you can get up here and get it, it's yours. And so Brandon and I went up with the trailer, and we filled the trailer and the truck with stuff. Fuck yeah. And so. 
Um, but he's a person that we we speak once a year, and um, we both. I, I like to think that we both love each other very much. Yeah. But it's we've just gone different directions. That's um, kind of how adults work. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's life. It's it's a little sad because, you know, you. You share such strong connections. Yeah, you have these brief and very intense yeah. periods. Yeah, and then um, it just it slowly dissipates over the course of years and how life works and yeah. adulthood works. But you know that I would imagine it's the same thing for you guys too. Where wherever you, whenever you reconnect or wherever you reconnect, it just it's right back to. Yeah, I mean we, it's it never feels awkward. Yeah, it's always awkward because I think he and I both go well. He doesn't want to hear from me. No, nobody wants to hear from me. We both get caught in these very like <laughs> yeah. self-destructive things. Yeah, yeah. It's been so long. Yeah. It's going to be so awkward, and you We're avoid not it. Friends anymore? You avoid but... it for years. Right. Yeah. And then, and then you He's talk, and you're life. like, oh yeah, what's going on? Yeah. Like, and it's this this whole thing because you forget, like you you forget how close that you are to other people sometimes. Yeah. Because you get in your head and you're just like, nah, no, no, yeah, they don't to, care. I don't even like me. Why yeah, do they like me? Exactly. Um, yeah, that that's, that's such a, a funny thing that that we yeah. do to ourselves far too often. Yes. And we, it's such a big reservation that we have to reach out to another yeah. human being sometimes, and it's it's always funny because as soon as you start talking to someone, everything just melts away. Yeah. Whatever anxiety, whatever. Well, and he's also so brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he he grew up like, you know, reading Proust and right. And, you well, know, you had Wild, was, right? Yeah. I got into Wild later. Oh. No, okay. I yeah. I for growing up, I was pop culture baby. I was Star Wars and Ninja Turtles, and I mean, its I own guess, charm, well, I guess. Well, no, I mean, I guess a lot of the, I mean, it's always, horror has always been a thing for me. Right. And classic horror has always been a thing for me. So, Bram Stoker and uh, uh, James and Mary Shelley and, um, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, Lovecraft. and um, I was really into those. Um, but... But yeah, no. So it's just, it's also just, I get into this thing where I'm like, he's so much smarter than me. He's so much, he's, he's a better musician than me. And he's better looking than me. And I'm just this. Why are we friends? Well, and complete opposite. And I'm also, you know, now I'm looking at things from my 30s and having gone through a few years of therapy and worked on myself and spent a few years figuring out that there were things that were seriously wrong that I wasn't addressing yeah. for years and years and years. Yeah. And, you know, and prior to that, I mean, I like to think now I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty nice person to be around, but prior to that, I was fairly difficult to be around for any amount of time because I was crazy. Um, and I was just, I, 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 I there was, there's so much of your reaction to the world in your 20s that you don't yet realize is because of things going on inside of you. Right. And then you get to a point where you look back on it and you go, wow, yeah, that's why nobody wanted to be around me. It's because <laughs> I was 
terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sounds about right. Yeah. Which is something that, you know, um, somebody pointed out. I was talking to somebody recently who was talking about my songs, and they were like, your songs are always so lonely. And I was like, well, I think, you know, when do you sit down to write a song when you're by yourself and it's late at night and you're kind of... A lot of my songs come from, you know, sitting on the porch yeah, at 2 o'clock in the morning and being alone in the universe. And, you know, because when I'm around people, I don't necessarily want... I don't think about writing. I don't think about um, any of that stuff. I just think about being in the moment. And, yeah. You know, it's when you have those introspective moments and you start going, wow, I'm... I've got a lot going on that I need to work out. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a lot of the same way where, you know, when you're around people, you want to embrace that moment. And then mm-hmm. when you get home, you're just like, oh, well, yeah. shit. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing now. Um, I would, I would imagine that's a, a lot, a lot of the same for most singer songwriters and, yeah. you know, most musicians where they're, Cause you have been in multiple bands, but it's always been also that Eric the Ghost persona, where it's yeah, it's still very much an individual take on everything. I yes. feel like right. So when I'm sure that person had a point where you know your songs sound and feel forlorn, but it's just because you know that's that's where your head's those, at those at moments. that moment. Yeah. What's interesting, um, I've noticed recently. Uh, looking back on love songs that I've written over the years. And in my early days, all of my love songs were very active and were very you and me and all that kind of stuff um, because I was I was trying... Uh, when, you're, when you're young, you write a love song because you're trying to make someone fall in love with you. Right. Um, and I've realized more recently that you know, and you write about what's going on because you're constantly thinking about, oh, this is a song, you know, this is, you know. And uh, I've realized more recently that most of the love songs I write nowadays are about when I'm by myself and I'm missing, you know, my lady and I'm thinking about her and she's distant. And I think that's because maybe it's just me, but as I've gotten older, it's when I'm when I'm with her, um, I'm not thinking about that. I'm not thinking about how I can turn that into publishing. Right. Um, well, also, if if you're always chasing it, that's the act. That's the action. So you're always active. Yeah. When you already have it, and then it just goes away for a minute. You're just yeah. like, oh, this is. And it's that's what loneliness feels like. Yeah. And for my money, it's it's better. Yeah. It's, as far as writing goes. Yeah. Um, I like the songs that I'm writing now better than the songs that I was writing. Then. Even Gossamer Beach. Gossamer Beach. So it hurts my heart. Do you want me to ruin that song for you? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so Gossamer Beach. Yeah, one of the great love songs. Um, I mean, that I've ever written. It's. I mean, it's one of my favorites. So it's um, that was written in that week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, was I waiting. wrote all of the. I was waiting for it. Lithium yeah. Girl was yeah, written in that yeah, week. Yeah. Um, Gossamer Beach was written in that be- in that week. Um, when I had a week to write a set worth of material because That's I so had funny. no material. That's so funny. Um, and 
like I said, I would always have the TV going. And there yeah. were a couple of movies that I always had on VHS sitting on top of my VHS player. And I would just put one in almost at random. And I had like three or four of them. It was like Rebel Without a Cause was mm-hmm. one of them. And they were just these movies that I could put on in the background. and But that struck emotional chords in me. And one of them was the film Dark City. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Gossamer Beach, the you know, that whole opening thing of... Uh, you know, turn out the lights and lock the door and pull on your jacket and sweep the floor. It's about him going to see Jennifer Connelly right. when she's in the movie in theater. The, okay, yeah. At the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, it is that image. I wrote that song to Jennifer Connelly. That's fantastic. That, um, that I mean, and the whole thing that of, makes it better for me. That the, so that's the whole thing of going to the beach. Yeah. That's, they're always trying to get out of the right, city. They're, they're always trying to get out of the city. Yep. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the few movies that is so underrated. So underrated. Um, so underrated. It's, it's a weird movie. It's shot really weird. Yeah. The story is really weird, but it has very much in, inspired and influenced a lot of the, the movies yeah. that came right after it. Because if, if the matrix wasn't as big as it got, you know, Dark yeah. City would have been right there with them. Yeah, and that's one of those movies that I can I can claim hipster privilege on. Yeah, I was yeah. I was into that movie when it came out, and growing up, I was very into the 1930s. I was very into old black and white movies and things like that. And that film has such an amazing uh, sense of place, such an amazing atmosphere, and it's all set in that 1930s. Um, it's also it's really dark. It's yeah wet, but in like a okay way. Yeah, um, just because it feels just like it's constantly raining, dour and yeah. raining, or like yeah. it's o- like it always just rained. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's that's pretty good. And Kiefer Sutherland in it yeah. as the the professor or whatever. He's yes, he's great, fantastic. Um, but Jennifer Colin Connelly, Jesus. Yes. Um, so there's a scene in there, um, where she's the jazz singer. Yes. And it's wonderful. It's one of, it's one of my favorite scenes. Just the lighting in there is perfect. Gorgeous. She looks wonderful. And then the, the sounds that are coming out of, it's just amazing. So there's, um, there's also this other band called Denali. Um, it's Mara something and, and I don't remember her name, but she's one of my favorite female uh voices okay um and pretty much all the music um when i heard her voice and that record for the first time because i had i had borrowed it or uh, my friend burned it for me in high school and i had forgot about it completely and then i just went through record or cds that i had um maybe a few months after that and i was just in my room sitting alone and then i i put that on and then her voice it's that image oh, wow. that came up, and I was just like, "This is the best thing ever." Oh, definitely have to look that it's, up. Yeah, it's the best thing ever, and just it's very. She's she has a very powerful voice, but it's also very airy and light, and just feels like it should be in a smoky jazz room. And it's not the sultry, like the big sultry dark tones. It's a very light and airy. Um, and smoky, like it, it just feels like it, it would uh, follow the the flow uh, in there, and it just it's it's perfect. And that 
that scene I always like that popped up into my head as soon as I heard the music and I was like this is the best thing ever yeah. and yeah I I love that movie um that that's for Gossamer Beach for me being one of my favorite songs that you've made and then also being directly influenced by that movie actually makes it better for okay, me. Good, good. So that's that's wonderful for me. Well, I often I have I get nervous about um about talking about how the sausage is made. Sure. Um because um because it people can get very you tell somebody where something came from and all of a sudden it's like telling them how the magic trick was done. Well, there's a mystique about yeah. it, right? There's always there's always this big air of yeah. mysticism and that it's coming from such a big, yeah. profound and emotional place and it's Well and the thing is can that, be, but... that song did. It came from that profound emotional place and that image of her in the movie theater and him standing across the street and looking at her it, it hit something in my brain and I literally looked up, I was doing something else and I looked up at the television and I saw that image and I paused the tape on that image and I sat with my guitar and I had that song 15 minutes later. That's wonderful. Um, it just, it, it, like I said, you're tuned into that synchronicity and all of a sudden something just comes out of you. Yeah. And that's how most of, most of the songs that anybody hears, that's how they were written. Um, I, like I said, if I feel like I had to work for something, I don't trust it. Right. And the other thing is that I never write anything down. I have not written down any of my songs. Um, and my line of thinking on that is that if I can't remember it tomorrow, then you won't remember it tomorrow. I like and, that. I like that. Yeah. And so all of those songs, they're still in there. And that's how I know Gossamer Beach is a winner. Because yeah, I can you, still play it. Held on to it. Yeah. I can still play it. Because that's what... I've gone five, six years without playing or hearing that song. 15, 20? It's probably 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, so there was a time... I'm trying to remember a little bit of the timeline. Because you... After Rich Uncle Skeleton and... You played some solo shows, yes, right? And then there wasn't weird. that much that you were doing musically, right? No, I was. I did a couple of bands. Um, I was in a in a band called um, Doubting Thomas, which became a band called the Glastonbury Grail. Yep. And then after, well, after that, I moved to Ohio for four oh, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, I didn't really do much in Ohio. Right. Um, I didn't have an infrastructure. I didn't have a support system, and so I, and I was living in a tiny little town. And um, I think I played one show in the four years I was there. I played an open mic night in Athens, Ohio. And that was as much... I, in those four years, I wrote two songs. Okay. And then when I came back um, is when... It was, it was really interesting because at that point I had kind of been like, yeah, the music's behind me, you know. I'm not... Something... I'll take out the guitar every once in a while and... You know, but I really wasn't thinking about it. And then I came back and reintegrated into that society that had been built mm -hmm. um, with, you know, Brandon and Daniel from Joy Radio and uh, all those people that I had played with for years. And all of a sudden, when I was back here, it just, it all came, all came back. And I wrote 
the first six months I was back here, I probably wrote 10 or 15 songs. Um, and, you know, and that's that eventually became, I started doing Eric the Ghost again, and that became Eric the Ghost and the Zampires, mm-hmm. which was very short-lived. Um, but it was basically just people from what is now last known Yeti, people from Joy Radio, um, Brandon and Jake from All Dire. Um, they, you know, it was just, they were kind of serving as my de facto backing band. And then soon after that, well, then I went through one of those periods where I quit music for like two years. <laughs> it was like a year, but like so, full bore, I, I smashed my guitars. Um, I think I remember I, hearing that. Yeah, yeah. and, and I like, was sad. like, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going back to that. <laughs> so do you think when you first came back, that explosion of creativity and music was just a, an emotional release from the previous four years? Um, I think that living in Ohio, living in the place I lived, I never got comfortable. Um, and it was a small town where everybody knew each other. And everyone had known each other for three generations back. Right. And I was... This is a true story. So I moved into this town, and it was, I assume it still is, a postage stamp town. I mean, one traffic light kind of town. Uh, there, was, you know, there was one traffic light on one side of the railroad tracks and one traffic light on the other. That was the... It was just a, a tiny town. I moved in... I pulled into town at 10 or 11 o'clock on Sunday evening. Sunday night I went to bed I got up the next morning at like 8 o'clock in the morning and went to the set to the Circle K to get a cup of coffee and I walked into the Circle K so I had been in town for 10 hours um, and had not left the house where I stayed I came in under the cover of darkness (laughs) I got up early the next morning went to the Circle K to get a cup of coffee and I walk in, and the girl behind the counter goes, "You must be that guy from Maryland." That's weird. And that was it was it was a town where you sneeze on one side, and someone on the other side says, "God bless you." And I I never felt I, I was never comfortable there. Yeah, and so that would I, freak me out. Um, when I moved back here, the first thing the first place I I lived when I moved back here was in this studio. Okay. In Instrumental Studios, which is you know, where Maldire records and is owned by Brandon um, from Maldire. And, um, you know, I called him when I was coming into town and I was like, I'm not sure where I'm staying. He's like, you're staying at my place. So I I lived in the studio for five, six months. Um, And when I got back, it was like the complete opposite of that, where I was back in the place where everyone knew me. Um, and the perfect example is St. James Deli oh, mm-hmm. down in, um, St. Mary's city. Uh, I, uh, I used to go there all the time cause I lived on Madison I road and I got their pizza cause St. James pizza is the greatest pizza. In well, the I don't world. think it's a thing anymore, right? It is. Um, it had been, that's the thing while I was in Ohio, somebody called me, I think it was either Daniel or Brandon called me and said, Oh yeah, St. James closed down. And I was heartbroken. Um, because that was like, I had missed it so much and, uh, it turned out they were renovating and so it wasn't closed down. So I was going back down to St. Mary's city for the first time when I came back 
and I'm driving and I look and St. James is still there and it's still called St. James. I said, oh, somebody must have bought it. I said, well, they must they must have still still have pizza. Yeah. Um, they, it's not going to be the same. Right. It's not going to be as good as it used to be. Right. Uh, whoever owns it now, not realizing it was the same owners, they had never changed. It, it had just been renovating for, for a while. And so I walked into St. James and Heather, the girl behind the counter, who is someone who I have... You know, bought, known for a while. I yeah. bought ten thousand slices of pizza, from her. <laughs> and uh, I walked in. I'd been gone for four years, and I walked through the door, and she goes, "Where the hell have you been?" <laughs> and I, and I was wiping tears out of my eyes because it was like, "I'm home, right? I'm back, right?" And it's, and it was that you know, when I left Ohio, one of the things I said is, I said I felt like I had left myself like a suit folded up somewhere and I needed to go find that suit again. And as soon as I crossed the bridge back into St. Mary's County, it was like, I put that suit back on and immediately just got right back to work. That's great. Um, so you just felt like yourself again. Yeah. I felt like myself again and I felt secure and I felt safe. And then in a few months you just smashed all your guitars and said, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. Um, and uh, I just got, I was frustrated and I was having a real, I was in kind of a dark place. And, yeah. And I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I smashed my guitars and I felt terrible immediately afterwards. <laughs> it was like, oh, I, you know, I smashed my guitars and I sat down and I said, good, good, it's out of my life. And then it was like, I'd really like to write about it. <laughs> ah, shit. And um, that's when I learned to play the ukulele. Oh, that's hilarious. A, a friend of mine had given me a ukulele and, and you I didn't never smash learned to that. play it. Yeah. And I hadn't smashed it, and I went, well, okay, I, I got to, I got to do something. So I learned to play the ukulele, and, um, and then about a year later is when I started coming back out, and the people that I love, the people that I'm involved with musically, they've known me long enough, and they know me well enough that when I disappeared, they were like, okay, just, it's like a baby deer, don't, don't scare him off, just let him be, he'll be back. And so, you know, six, seven months later, I come kind of crawling oh, back. So, hey, what have you guys yeah, been doing? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it was like, okay, cool, you're back. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't long after that that um, we were running the open mic night at the Brass Rail. And for a while there, it was Jake and I doing it yeah. most weeks. Yeah. And if nobody showed up, we played. And so we were playing together all the time. And we started calling ourselves uh, uh, Ghost and Goatman. That was I name. like that. That's that the like name that. I came up. You're the you're the first person that's ever liked that. I name. like that. <laughs> Everyone hated that name, and um, and then one night we were jamming. He and I were jamming at the studio, and Brandon came in and um, was just like, "Hey, can I jam along with you?" And we said, "Yeah." And him adding that guitar into the songs we were working on just blew everything up, and. Um, that night was um, the night that Maldire was born. Um, it was, you know, that if you go on YouTube and you look up the, the live recording that we did the music video for, for Know Thy Enemy, that's the first night we were Maldire. That's fantastic. Um, we just hit the microphone. It wasn't even a microphone. It was Jake had a little digital mini recorder. Okay. And just set it down and we recorded the night and, uh, and we got that recording and it was just, and we were like, well, we need a new name. We need a new name because this is obviously something new. And we were like, 
the way we were thinking about it. We wanted it to be Maryland specific um, because that's why we had picked Ghost and Goatman before. Well, I had picked Ghost and Goatman and yeah. Jake agreed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, as I remember, I said, yeah, we'll be Ghost and Goatman. And he goes, does that make me the ghost man, the goat man? And I yep. said, I don't know, I guess. And he's like, all right, <laughs> cool. Um, and, uh, and it was, um, yeah, it was, so we, you know, we're looking for something that was Maryland specific. And I literally, I went on Google and I Googled like, uh, Maryland, scary Maryland stories or something like that. Maryland folklore or something like that. And it was like the top 10 Maryland stories. And I'm I really was, upset you didn't know this right off the top of your head. That's, I know when I, when I'm I sure everybody says end, that when I flipped down to the end, the number one story was Mall Dyer. Yeah. And when I got to that one, I went, why the hell did nobody <laughs> think of this? Um, and I said, Mall Dyer. And Jake goes, yeah, Mall Dyer. And then, um, and Brandon, who grew up in St. Mary's County, had no idea. Years old, he was like, what's Mall Dyer? And we're like, how oh, do you not know man. who Mall Dyer is? Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know... I'm just glad you didn't call yourself Blair Witch or some shit. No, I do I do have the Blair Witch tattoo yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Mall Dyer is uh, a local legend about a woman who may or may not have actually existed in the 1690s who was accused of witchcraft and was driven out into the, into the woods to freeze to death. Um, and... Supposedly, when her body was found, she was found kneeling on a rock, and when she was taken from the rock, her handprint was imprinted into the rock, and that rock is supposedly on display in front of the St. Mary's County Courthouse. Um, just as a warning to any future witches, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Which, according to what's in the interesting thing, is, as soon as we called ourselves Maldire, people started like people were like, you know, that's not the real rock. I know where the real rock is. And nobody showed us yet. But supposedly there's a real Maldire rock out there. But uh but yeah, and then we made it we made it all one word because we had heard that there was an Irish folk band yep. from the eastern shore yep. called Maldire. So we said, Oh, we'll make it all one word and all capital letters and that way we're different. Because um, we didn't want to give up the name. <laughs> right. And we and interestingly enough, Jake and I went up to Baltimore one time, uh, and we did an open mic night. And uh, the guy who was running the open mic night is a folk open mic, mic mic night. And the guy goes, who are you guys? And I said, we're Maldire. And he goes, no, you're not. I said, yes, we are. He said, no, I know Maldire. You guys aren't Maldire. And I went, I guess we're a different Maldire. Yeah. Um, but I said, no, ours is all one word. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay. Um, but we've had a couple people come up to us and go, yeah, you know, my buddies were in a band called Maldire in like 1979, you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, we've been Maldire ever since. And soon after that, we, that just clicked in because I had already, you know, uh, historical accounts of witchcraft and modern witchcraft and magic and things like that have always been a big part of my process and so once we named ourselves mall dyer it was like that already fit the theme right and soon after that we jokingly one night called ourselves the the witch kings of southern maryland and it stuck and that just became you know once we had that identity um, and it's, once again, talking about synchronicity. 
um, Jake and I were out and about playing some of those songs for a year before we were Maldire and no one had any interest. And as soon as we added Brandon and we we started calling ourselves Maldire, it, people just started responding. It's funny um, what a what a name and a brand does. Yes. Uh, it's also funny, like, you could just be missing one part, and as soon as you get that part, it's just everything clicks. Um, and I, I think it's fun, too. So if anybody's seen the live shows, they've seen the dress-up and maybe not 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 so much dress up here and there um but it's fun to seeing that character embraced mm -hmm. too for me anyway yeah um i like i like seeing the idea of the full ghost in action yeah um, it's a fun thing to do yeah so it's it's interesting for that so when you when you guys all clicked did you feel like this was finally it? Like mm -hmm. you've done so many other projects yes. over the past few years. Like, and it's we all did. What's also interesting um, for you know the people that don't know is that it's the same group of people. It's always been the same group of people. So what what I find interesting um, when I interviewed Brandon and uh, when. I'll eventually interview um, everybody from Last Neon Yeti and mm -hmm. Space Lumberjacks and all that. You know, those those are interviews that I want to get done. But it's always interesting to me that you have this same core of people that are finally, like, realizing who they are mm -hmm. well into their adulthood. Yes. And well, it's been a journey, yeah. I feel like, for everybody that's been in this little group of people yeah well and for me it's funny because like um i i said this recently um you know when someone asked me about playing in a band in my 30s as opposed to my 20s and why did i think that things were clicking and i said you know no one no one ever respected a young wizard <laughs> you know yeah. And I was like, I had, it's like I had put myself on this trajectory to be a wizard, to be the kind of person who casts spells and does those things and is very serious about that stuff while also being very no fun one, about that stuff. No one really wants to see a young Gandalf. Exactly. Yeah. I think the story might be interesting, but no one wants to, to figure out yeah. how he got there. We but it would to... be interesting to the people who had been there. Right. You know, right. It's interesting to you because you were there. Right. We um, wanna we wanna see the badass that's fighting whatever that Balrog, maybe. Yeah, the Balrog. Yeah. yeah. We wanna see that guy. Yeah. We, yes, you can't you can't trust a young wizard. You can't trust a young wizard. Because he's not a wizard. He's just a wizard in training yeah. until he gets to that point. He's just some dude that's <laughs> dabbling. You yeah. know? It's like oh, you gotta you gotta really have have sat in the tower for is, a while. That is hilarious. Yeah. And all of a sudden I felt, you know, because I was at this point where I'm like, I'm playing all these shows with guys that are in their early 20s and girls that are in their early 20s. And I'm always the the old man on the bill. And then eventually I just came to this point where I'm like, no, I've always wanted to be the old man on the bill. Yeah. And you having listened to Ridge Uncle Skeleton and seeing that whole progression, I feel like the music that we're doing with Maldire is the natural progression of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't feel like there's been this huge 
character change. I feel like if you go back and listen to anything I did, it's it's a progression. You know. Well, even even if you look at um, this is gonna get really in the weeds, so sorry. But like even if you look at a song like Lithium Girl, where it's it's really just the progression of that too, because you look at just some some of the same guitar parts yeah. and the stuff that you're talking about in there, and then just making it bigger and bolder and better yeah. over the course of two decades, just about or yeah. whatever. You know, it's I I like seeing the progression. It's it's fun for me. You know, seeing where everybody has started out in this area of Maryland and seeing where they're at now and kind of reflecting a little bit on that, you know, seeing like Deadbeat Holiday where, you know, I I booked them when they were 14. Yeah. And just seeing them now where they're they're fully polished They're It's it's an amazing it's an amazing feeling to to see that stuff. And And those guys, we've there there are certain bands that we've. That that we started playing with right around the time they were starting to kind of really come into their own at the same time that Maldire was starting to come into their own, and we kind of I feel like uh, Deadbeat Holiday they're like our brothers. Yeah, it's a full maturation too. Yeah. So that's that's what I appreciate of yeah, Maldire specifically too is it's it's finally feels like everything is is clicked and, and bearing fruit into it, and it's obviously never too late but it is it does feel like it's the right time yes um i it is gonna be difficult and this is what even brandon and i were talking about you know you have your whole adult life yeah so at this point how are you able to balance out your life while trying to pursue shows while trying to get out of southern maryland and get into a bigger exposure because you guys have I've played oh, yeah. a fair amount in Baltimore and a mm-hmm. little bit in D.C. Mm-hmm. here and there, yeah. right? Yeah, we've played a, a couple shows each. Yeah. Um, and played up the road in different places. Um, I, th- I, think that, uh, I think that I'm better at it now than I was then. Um, I think that has to... Now, some people, they're 18 years old, and they, they know exactly who they are, and they're confident in that choice, and they, they kill it, and you see those bands most bands um but for me it took me a long time to be comfortable in who i was to the point that i felt i felt justified in walking up to a stranger and going hi i'm eric the ghost i'm with this band maldire and you should check us out um that took me a long time yeah and now that i have that it's everything becomes easier because you have that confidence to walk up and shake someone's hand and say, hey, I'm somebody that is worth listening to. Um, and not, like, want to shirk in the corner. Right. right. Just, I just want to play weird little experimental shows at Room with a Brew. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's got to that's gotta feel very empowering, too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and part of it is also um I mean it's just once again going back into the synchronicities um that when we started calling ourselves Maldire and we started bringing in that witch theme we kind of came to this realization of like oh none of us are joking about this. 
like all of us are really into this stuff and we started thinking about what we were doing from that aspect um you know when we when we started out we we used to we used to always say we want to make um you know we want to make uh witch music by witches you know and we wanted it to we wanted it we we it's something you know we no matter what else is happening in our life uh we always jam on a full moon um every full moon we get together i think we've missed one mm-hmm. um uh in the time we've been together you know when we we start we started taking things like lunar cycles very seriously we started taking things like synchronicity and magical intent and um started thinking you know when we when we're interacting with social media and things like that and um we refer to shows as rituals and we refer to songs as spells and things like that that's not branding that's us being um being honest about our intentions right it doesn't feel disingenuous it doesn't feel like a gimmick we that's what we're there to do we are there to perform the ritual and to to cast that spell and that's that's how that's our ritual you know instead of standing around a circle and chanting over candles we're doing that on stage and it it sounds really pretentious when I say it out loud, <laughs> um, but that's it's there, and um, and that's that's uh, that's something that we do take very seriously, um, and you know it's it's something that we hope that I mean so far the people I mean we we refer to our fans as the secret witches um, because it's kind of like. You know, that was an image that was in my head. It's something that has been worked into songs. It's been worked into press releases and things like that. This idea that, um, that, that me, that, that strange music that you hear coming from the woods. It's if you, if you go out into the woods at night and you go out and you find the witches out there making that music, like you, then you get to be a part of it. And that, and so the the secret witches are our are our fans. They're the ones that are willing to come out into the woods and come find us. And yeah. um, and we take that relationship very seriously. Um, and we've had some really amazing emotional connections with people. Um, there's a good friend of ours uh, who has um, uh, he. Uh, he's been around since the beginning he's been to all of our shows he's um i actually have my maldire necklace on that mm-hmm. he made one of these for each of us um you can see mine has the top that's hat. cool yeah but uh he made one for each of us and you know i got a call one night from jake and brandon they were here at the studio and they were like yeah he just got here and his mother passed away today and he said that he needs to hear um, Maldire. And I said, I'm on my way. And like, we've had those, um, we've had those moments where people have come up. And, you know, a perfect example is uh, there's a song that I wrote called uh, Purple Glass and Hex Signs, which is on the new record. We have not talked really about the record. We've been <laughs> rambling. 
Um, but like old codgers about all that talk of room with a brew and people are now listening to this going, are they going to talk about the record? Yeah. yeah eventually. Um, we'll get there. Um, but, um, you know, I wrote that song and it was a throwaway song to me. Um, I never intended it to be a Maldire song. It was, um, it's a song about the house that I grew up in as a kid mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. Uh, I lived there till I was five or six. It was an old house, old, I mean, it was a prototypical haunted house. And I, all of my memories of it come from being four or five years old in that house. So it's even more so in my memory. And I had, you know, I wrote that song about kind of taking those childhood memories at face value and experiencing the magic of that um you know there's a line in there about there was a lady that lived in my attic and one night one day she caught me up there and she wouldn't let me go till my mom came and she hid behind the door there was uh it was kind of it's my first memory of a witch actually hmm. um we lived in this old house and it was just crumbling when at one point my mother pulled the horsehair plaster off of the walls oh jeez and there were logs underneath oh, it was geez. that it was yeah 1820s i think um and i don't think anyone had fixed anything in the house since the 1820s uh but um i was looking i was probably about three or four years old i was looking for my mother and the attic door was open and so I went in, and when you went into the attic, you went in and dog-legged up a, a flight of steps mm-hmm. into this old, crumbling attic uh, with one light bulb and cracked windows, you know. It was... Perfect horror. Perfect. Yeah. And the wind blew the door shut. Of course. Of course it did. Why? And hanging behind the door was a Halloween decoration of a witch's face. That's not scary. That that's, had, that's fucking terrifying. What the yeah, fuck? That's I had so never terrifying. Se- and I had never seen it before. And why what <laughs> the way that it was it was just because they had stuck the Halloween decorations in the attic and stuck them on the wall behind the door. Oh my god! Why are there and Halloween? De- whatever doesn't matter. Now that's all I decorate. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> but so I was when the door slammed. I went to the top of the stairs and looking down, I'm looking at you what see looks witch? like a witch. Yeah. And I sat up at the top of the stairs just screaming for my mother. Um, <laughs> And I was terrified. Um, and then when my mother opened the door and blocked that witch, I ran downstairs. But I don't know how... I must have been up there for 20, 25 minutes. That is fucking Because crazy. my mother was off doing things. She didn't yeah. know, And she couldn't hear me. Oh, my so, God. That is such a terrifying um, thing. Like, when you're a kid, everything just looks so real. Like yeah. You, you, can't, you can't put, you know, the fact that it's a costume in your head. You can't put that in no. there. Like, it, that's... Oh, my God. And, in fact, the... Um, the opening line of that song is, uh, when I was young, there were cracks in the windows, stray dogs, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. stray dogs and creeps in the street. Um, I, one of my earliest memories was uh, a pair of my older sister's buddies, a couple of guys that lived down the street. They came to the house probably around Halloween wearing full head rubber masks with hair. And they walked into the house and I flipped out. And I was terrified, and I'm screaming, and my mother's like, take them off, you're scaring him. And they took the masks off, and that was worse. Because, <laughs> because these, <laughs> these monsters were guys I knew, you know? Yes. And, um, it's always worse when it's someone you know. Yeah. It's always It was worse. like Scooby-Doo, it's you know? It's worse. And so, but yeah, that song was really, it was a really personal thing. Wow. And I don't often write on that personal of a level. 
um, where it was like, this is just for me. This is basically me telling inside jokes to myself. Yeah, because a lot of um, it is is uh, not grand, general. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, and but yeah, so and one night at practice, we were we had finished up practice, and I was sitting with a guitar and I played it, and Jake was like, "What is that?" And I said, oh, it's this song I wrote. I, I never figured. And he was like, play that again. And I started playing it. And he sat down and started playing drums. The next thing I know, it's a Maldire song. <laughs> and I was like, and I never I never thought anybody would like it. I um, So I never played it for anyone. And, um, and since we started playing that, I've had so many people come up to me and say, that song is about the house I grew up in. Like, that you describe the house I grew up in, the place that I grew up. I think it's always interesting uh, the the memories that we have of ourselves to get imprinted on everybody else mm-hmm. once it's in a bigger platform, you know. So that's that's why song is such important. Yeah, that's why poems are so important. That's why books are so important, and any kind of art because you imprint your own self onto what's created. And you, you think about that, and it makes you think about all the, the shit that you've been through, and you yep. cling on to it, and hopefully it makes you feel better and not worse, yeah. right? And it's a little bit cathartic. That's so that's that's great. I I, I like hearing that stuff, and uh, hopefully there's more into it. You yeah, know, there there's more left in the tank and all that. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, so the record we're working on right now is called Songs Volume 1, and we're planning nine songs for this, and um, we're hoping either next spring or next summer to put out Songs Volume 2, which will be the other half of that project, Um, and I'm constantly writing new stuff, Um, I've got all this stuff that's kind of been shut away in drawers because we've been working on the record and um trying to get that together but you know i think that and the nice thing about maldire uh and it's one of the things that i said going into it is um that i wanted to do things the way that they used to be done i was always saying 1972 um 1972 to 1975 you know because you have these amazing records that were made in those times uh, you have, uh, you know, Who's Next is one that I love. I, I love The Who. And that record has heavy songs and pretty songs mm-hmm. and soft songs and loud songs. And, and you know, and or the Rolling Stones, you know, they're going to do a stomp and blues record one time around and then the next one's going to be a country record. And, but you listen to them together and it's, it's all the, it's all the same band. Yeah, it's still the Stones. Um, yeah. It's still the Stones. And that's who I wanted us to be. I wanted us to be a band that could do a soft song as well as doing the heaviest song you've ever heard, you know, and doing that together. Um, and so I think that the nice thing about that is I don't see us ever getting stuck in a box because, you know, if we decide that the next record is going to be a quiet acoustic affair, then it, then it will be. And, and you also it doesn't feel like you have anything that you want to package and sell as much yeah it's because you are taking it serious and because you are embracing the culture that you're building yeah it's a lot different from previous projects where 
I hope people like this. Mm-hmm. It's, no, this is who I am. This is mm-hmm. what's coming out. I don't care if people like it. Yeah. yeah. This is who I am. And um, at this point, I've been around and been doing it for long enough that I've had enough of those experiences where people came up to me about something that I didn't think anybody would like and went, that's my new favorite song. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny. A song like Know Thy Enemy, which um, I wrote, sometimes I write a song and I don't know what it's about at the time. Um, and I... Just I, sounds cool. And I... Well, it's that it's that voice whispering in your ear. Yeah. Yeah. And you know you're onto something, but you don't know what it is. And I wrote that song, um, and I knew that it was about what I was seeing in the world. A lot of what I write about nowadays is about the things that scare me um, in the world, and trying to trying to be strong in the face of a terrifying existence. And that song, I was seeing the way things were going. Um, and then after the Charlottesville riot, I went, oh, that's what that song's about. Um, because there's that, it was inspired, we were talking earlier about it, it was inspired partially by Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. And that idea of the little girl in the basement, you're boarding up the windows to keep out the zombies, but the, you know, the killer's inside, you know, and you, you, you're ignoring that problem in the basement to keep people out and meanwhile that problem is coming up the stairs you know and so that was kind of the the inspiration to writing that song and it just yeah I look around at the world and I go yeah there's a lot of problems that nobody was paying attention to I was I was scared shitless of them (laughs) years ago and everyone was telling me that I was paranoid right now I look around and go you see I you know and so there's a there's a, a lot of that and what's interesting about that song is that at its core it's about being terrified of the world um about you, you being terrified of what's going on around you and um yeah i think that a lot of people we've had people i thought when we when we put that song out i said well this is going to get us a lot of hate um cuz yeah. it's, yeah. it's pretty but it doesn't matter what side of things you're on. Everybody's terrified about what they're seeing around them. And we've had people, liberal, conservative, red, blue, anarchist, socialist, all of them, they all come up and go, yeah, that song, that makes sense. And you're like, yeah, because it's universal. Right. It's, um, there's something, we all, I feel like the entire at least to the entire country, if not the entire world, is suddenly realizing that there was a lot of things that they should have been paying attention to. <laughs> and and those things are coming up out of the basement. And we got to deal with them now. Yeah. And so... Um, but, you know, and that was also a tribute to George Romero, because um, I'm a huge George Romero fan. And yeah. that idea of mixing horror with social commentary... That's that's um, his whole bag, man. Yep. Yeah, that's and that great. was a huge influence to me as a songwriter. Yeah, I'm gonna sing about skeletons and ghouls and things, but I'm really not singing about skeletons and ghouls. I'm right. singing about things that I'm th- singing about what I see out my window, and um, 
yeah, and so that was kind of a tribute to him. Cool. What do you think is one of the biggest things that you've learned about yourself when it comes to your music? Mm, I'm, I am a terribly unconscientious person. Um, what have I learned about myself? Um, I would say that uh, the things that you... For me, the things that I um, say jokingly that I seem flippant about are the things I'm most serious about. And the things that I seem the most serious about are the things that I care the least about. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of embracing that. Mm-hmm. And um, that was part of finding my voice was realizing that, like, you know, uh, you... You make you you can only joke about how you're the witch king of Southern Maryland for so long until you realize like that's really what you want. <laughs> that that's really what you're trying to do. Um, right. And uh and you know, those things that are the most fun are the things that we take the most seriously in Maldire. Um because at the end of the day uh, we want you to come out to the woods. We want you to come join us around the fire. And we're having a blast. And so I feel like when you start having fun, it, people can't help but have fun. Yeah, it's contagious. It is. It's perfect. Um, and all those years that I was being very dour and very serious. <laughs> and I was, everything was very, very serious, you know, and nobody was having fun. I wasn't having fun. Yeah, that that kind of ruins your whole life for you. It does. Yeah, it does. What just do you ask th- any of the people who had to live with me at this <laughs> time? <laughs> right. Well, what do you think that you've learned about yourself the most when it comes to acting? Oh, that I've that I am not nearly as good at memorizing lines as I used to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think that, um, and this comes a lot into music as well music and theater have always been two sides of one coin to me um it you can't you can't pretend you can't you you know going back to that whole the 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 witch kings of southern maryland thing you can't pretend to be the witch king of southern maryland if you're going to say that you're the witch king of southern maryland you got to be um and that reality has to be there one of my favorite things um is the uh like the great irish tenors and the the great irish singers like uh liam clancy is my favorite and he'll when he sings a song he gets this look in his eyes as if it's happening right there in front of him and he's just looking and it's so intense and it's so and he just and he's you listen to him sing these songs of like you know like Greenfields of France, mm-hmm. these great old folk songs, and it's right there in front of him. You can, you can just feel it. Just, and and you're just like, and you don't have to see him performing. You listen to his records, and you can feel that. And that's something that I learned about acting. I also learned about singing. It's like you just you can't fake it. You right. gotta be there. People will know. People will will know if you're putting on an act, um, and 
if you can do it without putting on an act, then that's when special things happen. I talk about it a lot. Is, uh, people can sniff bullshit. People can sniff yes. when uh, you're not you're not convinced, right? So yep. if you're not convinced, if you haven't figured out yourself what you want and how you feel, you can't really portray that out yeah. to someone else. You know, like it. You you have to be genuine, and the ones that are genuine, the ones that are able to you know, connect with other people and get their original point across or, you know, it's, it could be just the same idea, but just a slightly different twist on it or that passion is there or whatever it is. Like people can feel it when it's disingenuine and they will shut off completely. Yep. Um, and the other thing, but this is something I've always kind of known, but, uh, I, the, the idea of making yourself alien to the audience. Um, and that's where I started going down the route of top hats and um, Victorian costumes and things like that. Because uh, if you go up there in a pair of jeans and a cutoff t-shirt, the same pair of jeans and cutoff t-shirt that you wore to the show last night and that you, that you were out at Burger King in earlier, then... <laughs> Um, people see that and they know what it is. And if they know what it is, then they might pay attention, they might not pay attention. Um, if you're, you know, back when we did Rich Uncle Skeleton, I would wear platforms. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I would purposefully wear suits that were a little bit too small for me. And the top hat, with the top hat and the platforms, I was seven and a half feet tall. And I would purposefully put the microphone too low, so I had to stoop over it. Right, right. And that was all... That was all going back to like um, uh, Bertolt Brecht um, in the 30s, and the that's the theatrical side of things. That uh, that idea of alienating yourself from the audience, and um, by doing that, people walk in and they go, "What the fuck is that? I don't know what that is." And that survival instinct that people has have they have to figure it out, and they have to pay attention, um, and. The other thing that I that I learned from doing it, it started from that place of Bertolt Brecht and all that, and I was reading a lot of books. And, uh, <laughs> I was taking myself very seriously. Um, but the other thing that I realized uh, over the years is that um, that makes you really easy to remember. Yeah. Because um, you go to a show and you see six different bands. Um, you're going to remember the one with the guy with the big beard and the top hat. Yeah, because they all and, look the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, what is yeah. musically coming out. They all look yeah. the same. Uh, but if you've got a top hat and a dress on, then... It's a little bit different. Go, and, I've, and it's funny. I've, um, I've heard people say it. I've heard people go, Oh, no, no. He's in that, uh, he's in that one band. Um, you know, the one with the top hat. And they go, Oh, yeah! <laughs> you know, and it's like you might not remember the name of the band, you might not might not remember any of the songs, but you'll but that remember that image is there. You'll remember that that eight foot guy stooping over the microphone. So, what do you think has driven you the most to continue music throughout everything? Oh, you've, you've destroyed guitars, you've yes. quit multiple times, yes. but you've always come back to it. So, um, what do you? What do you think has driven you the most? Because I don't have a lick of goddamn sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's... 
um, it really comes into uh, what you're made for. Um, and I, I've never achieved any kind of financial success from music. Um, I've, I've never, you know, like I said, back in the day, I was printing 20 or 30 copies of an album and giving them away. Um, and, you know, and I was making record after record that nobody listened to. Um, but it's just there. I don't, I don't know what else to do. I don't, I don't know of any better way to express what's inside of me. And it's not even, people always talk about, I need to express myself. And for me, it's not expressing myself. It's, um, it's letting, it's more like purging. Um, I've got, I'm a person, I have terrible anxiety and I have terrible depression. And, uh, these are things that I've sought therapy over. And if you're, if you have anxiety and depression, you absolutely should get in front of a therapist. Um, but you know, I believe in that process a great deal, but it just, if I don't let it out, it's gonna claw its way out. It's, there's a, there's a thing inside of me that has to get out of me. And if I don't give it that chance, it's gonna find its way out and not in a healthy way, not right. in a constructive way. Um, and, you know, I, my, my, biggest, my biggest thing is empathy um, and having empathy with people. And I'm not a person that's very good at expressing empathy person to person. I'm not a great, I'm not great at, um, I'm not always great at that interaction, but the music gives me a chance. You know, when you're talking, when you're, when you're talking to people at a party, you've got three different masks on and you've got a mask covering the mask, covering the mask, covering the what's, what's underneath, you know, and you're thinking about everything. And if I say it this way, uh, I made that joke and two people laughed, but everyone else <laughs> gave me a look. Should I have not said mm -hmm. that? You know, and you have all these. It's so neurotic for me. It's so anxious, that, that interaction at times, that performing music especially is me stripping all that off. I mean, ironically, because I talk about all these costumes I put on and all these mm -hmm. things I put on, mm -hmm. but when I'm on stage, I'm naked. And it's me going, this is me. This is my weird, shitty form. And I don't, I don't care what you do, but this is me. And I think that there's a certain thing that happens. You know, I always tell people when there's people say, well, you write songs. Like, how do you, how do I go about writing songs? I always tell them you write a lot of shitty songs <laughs> and they, and they're like, well, that's kind of harsh. And I'm like, well, that's coming from someone who wrote a lot of <laughs> shitty songs. Um, but eventually if you keep writing those songs, um, if you keep expressing yourself and you get it boiled down to that, this is me, this is who I am. Then all of a sudden people start going, that's me too. Yeah. Like that's weird. We're in this together now. And you start getting people. And for me, 
having people come up and going, I never felt like anyone would get that. And I feel like you expressed that. And that's something that I've had inside of me for so long and I didn't know how to express that. And that's where that empathy is. That's where I'm putting myself out there. And it's like, um, I think it was Aesop Rock had a, had a great line that was something along the lines of like, these, these songs are echolocation. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you're sending out and you're seeing what's out there and you start getting those noises back. And all of a sudden you have that interaction and there is no, I'm not going to say it's the best interaction that two people can have, but it's different than any other interaction that they can have than when you're on stage and you're interacting fully and openly with somebody in the audience who is interacting openly and fully back towards you. Um, there's, there's no other interaction that's like that. Um, I guess, I mean, I guess if you get down to it at the end of it, I'm, I'm an addict. I'm a whore for the applause. That's perfect. I think that's it. There you go. That's perfect.